You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Hello, and welcome to SpyCast from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., I'm Peter Ernest, the executive director of the museum. I served for some 36 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, largely as what is called an operations officer or a case officer. Every month we'll be bringing you interesting talks with visitors, with authors, with others who have something to do with the world of intelligence and espionage. My guest today is John Sullivan. Uh, John is a career was a career uh, officer with the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, and throughout his career he was a polygrapher. That is, he did polygraphs, and of course, uh, lie detectors is the other term, popular term, uh, both for applicants, people coming into the agency. But in John's case, uh, many many of his uh, polygraphs were done with foreign agents, often people that the CIA was running or had recruited abroad or wanted to recruit or had walked in and said they wanted to be uh, sources for the CIA. Um, the book he has just published, which is his second book, is entitled Gatekeeper. And uh, John, I have to tell you, this is uh, one of the most insightful books I have read into agency culture, just how things were for, for you during your some 32 years in the agency, aside from the insights into the use of the polygraph and how it was used. So. Welcome. We're delighted to have you here today. Thank you very much, Peter. And uh, coming from a career uh, DO case officer, the, your compliments mean even more. Thank you very much. Well, they're certainly deserved. Um, John, let me just jump right into this. And um, let's just start out, if you would give a little a, a sense, in a few words, of, of, of your career. I tried to capsulize it a bit, but it may have entailed more than I touched on, and perhaps you could give the audience just a sense of your career and what it entailed. Okay. Basically, uh, Peter, I entered on duty with the CIA in 1968 after a year of graduate school at uh, Michigan State University, and I entered on duty with Polygraph Division. I spent 31 years in Polygraph. Five of those years were spent in Vietnam conducting polygraph, well, excuse me, four of those years were spent in Vietnam conducting polygraph tests, and in total I spent 2,011 days overseas doing polygraph uh, tests for the uh, Central Intelligence Agency. Well, no, I, I know, John, you know, there's always sort of a, there's a scuttlebutt or quarter gossip about people who are in the agency, which never makes its way into fitness reports and performance reviews. 
and I know you have the reputation uh, within the agency as polygraphers go as one of the best. Um, I also happen to know that I believe you've done more polygraphs for the CIA than anyone else in its history. I think that I'm certainly, I know that's true, Peter, because I spent more time in polygraph than anyone, any any examiner in the history of the agency. Most examiners in the CIA don't work more than eight years at the most. I spent 31 years doing it, and I don't know of another examiner that spent that long doing polygraph tests in the agency. So just by virtue of my longevity, I did more tests than anyone in the history of the agency's program. Well, as you know, you and I have uh, been around uh, different audiences and people asking about the polygraph. It is an object of fascination, uh, and it's an object of fascination for several reasons, which I think we should get into. You know, the, your comments certainly on the controversy about its effectiveness and utility. But let me just ask you right at the outset, that is a long time to be in, in a, a, um, such a specific enterprise as being a polygraph operator. Did you enjoy your career? Was it a rewarding career? Yes, I really felt that it was, Peter. One, I really enjoy the interaction with people. It was a people-oriented job, and for me, that was the best part of it. I also saw myself as uh, not the little Dutch boy with his finger in the dike, but I, I saw myself as a, if you will, as a first line of defense against penetration of the agency. Uh, that may sound a little bit altruistic, but that's exactly how I felt. I felt that my work was very important. I thought I did it quite well. The thing I'm proudest of in my 31 years as a polygraph examiner with the agency, I never had a complaint made against me. And I, I feel very, very good about that. Uh, I, I did my job well, and I think I did it the way it should be done. And I took a great deal of personal satisfaction in that. And hence the title of your book, Gatekeeper. Yes, sir. John, how do you become a polygraph operator? Well, in my case, I'm sure it was because of my linguistic capability. They were looking for a linguist at the time I was recruited. I did speak uh, German pretty well, and I had spoken Russian quite well when I was in the military. Plus, I had a little bit of Spanish, and uh, I know they needed linguists. Uh, one of our examiners who was a linguist had had a stroke and died. They needed a linguist, and uh, when they saw my application, that's that's why they chose me. What languages did you have, John? I had German, Russian, a little bit of Spanish, and that was it. And uh, the German got got quite good, uh, and then my Russian slipped a little bit. But German, and we did a lot of work in Germany back in the '60s and even the '70s. So it really was. Uh, uh, why I was I, I believe that was why I was picked for polygraph because they needed a linguist. John, we know that a number of the folks listening to our spy casts are young people, and a number of them have an interest in an intelligence career. If you had an opportunity to say a few words to uh, a, a small group of young people considering that, often one of the things that they dread, fear, whatever word you choose to wor to use, is the polygraph. What would be your 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 advice, your comments? That's a very good question, Peter. And really, what I and I've done this on many occasions. Be honest. That's that's your best bet. Now that doesn't always guarantee that you're going to get through the polygraph, unfortunately, because it's it's not a perfect device. But your best bet 
is going going into the test with the expectation that you're going to pass the test and knowing that you're going to be honest during the test. I can't think of anything I can tell you. I know this, the chances of you successfully completing the test if you are dishonest is a lot less than it would be if you go in there and tell the truth, period. That's that's all I can tell you. And, and I think that's the best advice I can give a young person. There, there is always this, uh, <clears throat> well, let me, let me back up a moment. Would you comment on the, the ever-present controversy on the polygraph itself? Uh, those who uh, rely on it and want to continue and, and fight to continue to use it, for example, in, in our former agency, the CIA, and those who say it's, it's absolutely less than worthless and it should not be used at all. What, what they're both uh, arguing over is the effectiveness of it as a tool in an interview situation. I don't think... I, I, I find some of these arguments rather specious. For example, you can argue the scientific validity of the polygraph, but you cannot argue the utility of polygraph. When I entered on duty in 1968... 92%, 92% of the security disapprovals came about as a direct result of polygraph-derived information. The information that we get on a polygraph test, I don't know how, I don't know any other way we can get the type of information that, that comes out on a polygraph test. Most critics of polygraph and those who want to do away with it say better background investigations are the way to go. Well, background investigations are a necessary part of the process, and we cannot do without them. But background investigations are very, very good at verifying information that a person provides. He tells you, he fills out an application, he tells you where he lived and where he's worked, etc. And you can verify that in a background investigation. I haven't found them very effective at finding information that you that a person doesn't want a prospective employer to know, for example, that you've been stealing from an employer, that you may have a drinking problem, that you may have used drugs. Now, drugs and drinking, your employer and some of your friends may know these things, but in the sheer criminal area, uh, sexual perversion, child abuse, things like that, I doubt very much background investigations will pick. I don't doubt, I know background investigations are not good at picking that information up. And adding on to that, let's just suppose that in a background investigation, one of your neighbors said, says, I know he's stealing from his employer. Period. He just says that. Well, how do you verify that? I mean, if the person denies it, how do you verify it? And maybe the neighbor just has an ax to grind. He doesn't like you, so he says you're stealing from your employer. You cannot tell the subject that the neighbor told him this, and yet you have this allegation out there, how do you how do you verify it? And again, what defense do you have against anybody, a neighbor, a colleague, whatever, making a false allegation against you? You have absolutely no defense against that. At least in a polygraph test, you know what the issue is. If the polygraph examiner says that you're concealing information regarding criminal activity, then you have to discuss that and hopefully resolve it. But uh, I, I have to say that uh, the polygraph is the best tool that we have at 
finding out these things that you don't want to know. I just don't know of any other way to do it. John, I'm, uh, I'm a young person. I've, I've been out of college uh, two or three years, did a year of graduate school, uh, traveled a bit, and now I'm applying for work, and, and let's say in the CIA or one of the intelligence community agencies. And, uh, you know, when I was in college, I used drugs uh, off and on for a couple of years and uh, um, probably abused alcohol if, uh, to an extent, if we use that term. What do I have to fear? From the, from the polygraph in dealing with issues like that? Well, I would suggest the only thing you have to fear is, you know, how recent was your last use? I, I think if it's in the past, if it is definitely in the past, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Uh, if it's a continuing problem, if, if the use is still ongoing, then you're obviously going to have a problem. I think in terms of drugs in particular, Using is one thing. Selling is another. I think if you were involved in trafficking drugs, you have an even greater problem. But if it was, if you will, limited use in the past, I really don't think you have much to worry about. I know you've, uh, in, your, uh, in your comments just a moment ago, you, you made it very clear that the polygraph is it's one tool. In other yes. words, there's a background investigation, there's other information, and so it's a tool that helps... Uh, the agency or the case officer make a determination. And I also know I've heard you say, <clears throat> refer to the old phrase, that the, it is more of an art than a science. And, and I'm taking from that, you know, as Americans, we tend to see magic in a box, yes. oh. that somehow <clears throat> this box, and we, and we usually call it that in the agency, sure. somebody's been boxed or right. on the box, uh, that there's something in the box that will give some sort of a quantitative number or something that then tells you if somebody's lying. But it's really, really much more in you, isn't it, in the operator, people such as yourself? Oh, I absolutely believe that, Peter. When I say One of the reasons I say it's more art than science is there are so many variables that go into a polygraph test that cannot be measured. For example, what value do you give to a test on the chemistry between the examiner and the, and the subject? If the subject, if, if there's hostility, for whatever reason, uh, you may not like the way the subject dresses. You may not like the language he has, uh, the, the slang he uses, whatever. There, there are many, many reasons. He may be grossly obese and just slovenly for whatever reason. Or may, he may be neat as a pen and you just find that disquieting. But whatever. How do you quantify some of these differences? Now, uh, does he feel guiltier about stealing a car than smoking marijuana? I mean, there are just so many different aspects that I, I have absolutely no way of do I put more weight on the fact that he doesn't like me or that he wants this job or does he want the job bad enough to put up with me I don't know Peter it's it's just I I've found uh, you can't quantify how do you put a number on a reaction how do you get inside a person's mind I mean if I were to be accused of being a child molester I would be absolutely livid and irate. I mean, if someone, I, I, I would be irate that someone would do that. Now, suppose I don't. It's, it's human nature when you are accused of doing something heinous to get angry. What value should I give to the, to the fact that you don't get angry when I make that accusation? How do I read that in terms of personality? You cannot quantify so much that is in a polygraph test. So it's, you have to get admissions. 
you can't uh, there are so many reasons why a person reacts to a question on a polygraph test for example have you ever committed a crime no but suppose you were recently the victim of a crime even more common suppose you've been accused of a crime that you hadn't committed uh, I can remember distinctly testing a young man a college graduate one of the questions I asked while in college did you ever cheat on a test no and there was a reaction to the question and he's adamant and insisting and then what he told me was he said I was accused of teaching uh, excuse me I was accused of cheating on a test and I was given a failing grade failing grade in a course because the professor believed I cheated on the test when I didn't now there is an emotional value to that question that most people would not have how do you quantify that you have a I've tested a, a young woman who was sexually abused when you ask her a question about crime she's much more sensitive and justifiably so but she may not want to tell me that that's a very very embarrassing type of thing so there are just so many unknowns uh, and you cannot you just cannot quantify some of these things that's my reason Peter what is it, uh, John, in our makeup, our, our personality, our psychological makeup? And I, I've heard you talk about this in a very fascinating way that makes, that, that enables the polygraph to work. I mean, uh, for example, if I were to bet you that I could beat it, what is it in my makeup that's probably going to mean that I'm not going to win that bet? Well, one, the question goes back to Peter, what do you have to lose if you don't? win I mean if, if you don't beat me what have you got to lose if you don't have anything to lose if you just want to do it as a joke as a parlor trick your chances the numbers test that is the, the the toughest test for an examiner to win I mean there are six numbers there are only six numbers and I've got to guess one of them so five out of six you know I've, the, the odds are in the in the subject's favor when there's nothing on the line but when there is something on the line oh boy if I for example, if I lose this bet, it's not a bet. If I, if he guesses the number, I'm going to have to sign over my car to him. That puts a whole different mindset on the person taking the test. Now, many times, people taking tests like this, they'll they'll practice countermeasures. They'll flex their sphincter muscle. They'll twitch their feet. They'll they'll do all, hold their breath, etc. Well, in the real world. As soon, as soon as a person starts practicing countermeasures, you automatically go to interrogation because you know the person is trying to defeat you, and the only person who tried to defeat you is a liar. So that's an automatic, you know, just shut the machine down and go right, in, right into interrogation when you detect countermeasures. So a caveat or a precondition of any test of that nature, Peter, would be if I catch you practicing countermeasures, you know, I, I run a norm test before with no no questions asked. I get your normal breathing pattern, your cardio rate, etc. I take these measurements, and all of a sudden, when we start the polygraph test, I see dramatic changes in these patterns. I know you're doing something to manipulate the test. You lose. I mean, these are preconditions for a test, but the whole the whole thing, Peter, is you may think you can beat it because you have nothing to lose but once you have something to lose it becomes a whole new ball game I would say this I don't think I could beat a polygraph test and I'm 
being absolutely sincere with you, if I had something to lose, or even for a, take a job, whatever, I do not think I could beat the test. I would show, I'm convinced that if I lied on that test, there would be a reaction that show up in a chart. Now, whether the examiner could get me to admit it, that's a whole new ball game, Peter. But I do believe that if I were to lie on a test, there would be a reaction that would indicate it. So, and what people have to lose, in many cases, the applicant, for example, does not get the job, is not approved, or uh, in the case of an agent overseas, uh, is found out to be deceiving us, being a double agent, whatever. Let me just, if I may, go to a case that people often raise in discussions about the polygraph, and that is the case of Rick Ames, uh, the CIA employee who uh, was a walk-in to the Soviets and, and uh, conducted espionage for some uh, nine years, as I recall, before he was finally caught. And there were, as I recall, during that period, two polygraphs, uh, which he is said to have, quote, beaten. Um, and that's, that's sort of part of the mythology about there. But I would love to hear your comments as a professional operator. About, I know you in the book, Gatekeeper, devote a chapter to it, which I think is extraordinarily insightful. But I wonder if for our listening audience, you could comment on the Ames case. Absolutely, Peter. I'm happy to do so. My first com comment on the Ames case is the Ames case is the worst thing that ever happened to Polygraph Division, without a doubt. The after effects of the Ames case were, were such that uh, uh, we're, still, we're still paying the price for missing Ames. And let there be no doubt about it, we missed Ames. Less than a year after he began working for the Soviets, he took a polygraph test. Now, I know, or we know, that he asked, he, he asked his uh, Soviet case officer for countermeasures training. He was told to think calm thoughts, get a good night's sleep before the test. That was the extent of the training that he got. Now, as I mentioned in my book, I think the thing that really helped Ames was the examiner. The examiner knew Ames's wife, uh, Rosa, had, uh, Rose. Ames's wife had taken the examiner on a shopping trip when the examiner was working overseas with, with Ames and his wife. They were good friends. When Ames, uh, when she went, when the examiner went to pick up Ames in the waiting room, they reestablished contact, and we heard them walking down the hall saying, you know, how is Rosa, how is everything going? I mean, I have to think, at that point, Ames thought, hey, this is, this is not a bad thing. Now, there are a couple other things about Ames. When we debriefed Ames after the test, or after he was arrested, excuse me, he said there were three things I knew that... Uh, before I went into that test. The first was, there was no way I would ever make an admission. I absolutely knew that, and there was nothing you could say that would make me make an admission. He said, I, I, I just, under no circumstances, frankly, I don't believe that. There were things we could have said to him, I think, that w might have gotten an admission out of him. But he said, and he, as a reason for that, he said, because I know that without an admission, nothing is going to happen to me. He said, I know that what you'll do is you'll probably have me come back for more and more tests. You'll have me interview with the counterintelligence people. You might send me to some shrinks or whatever. But unless I make an admission, I know nothing is going to happen to me. 
He said, I also know that probably you might put me in another job someplace. But he said, without, he said, what did I have? The only thing I had to fear from you was making an admission. So unless you really had something on me, I just wasn't going to do that. And I think going in there with that attitude really helped him. Now, given the fact that uh, the examiner liked him, I mean, it was again, I'm the last person in the world to com complain about someone being subjected to being very personal in a polygraph examination. I'm probably, I probably violate that more than anyone. I'm, I'm very personal in my my polygraph interviews, but in this particular case, I think it really worked against the examiner. Now, I looked at the charts from that first test, and I have to say, and certainly with 2020 hindsight. There's no way he should have beaten that test. Now, the second test he took, again, Ames asked for training. They told him, don't worry about it. Now, Ames came in, and on his first test, the, the first series of tests he took, the only question, the only question he reacted to was, "Have you? Uh, are you concealing contacts with foreign nationals? I reviewed those charts and I said, that's the only question I see. And he's going to have to come back on that. Well, the next day when he came back, he he ran charts that Mother Teresa would envy because they, I, I categorically state there was absolutely no indication anywhere in those charts that he was practicing deception. My own opinion and this opinion, I don't know or I have no idea whether it's shared by any of my former colleagues, but I believe that going into that second test, the only thing he had to worry about is he couldn't account for $540,000 cash that he paid for his house. He couldn't account for a lot of them. I mean, he'd been given over a million, like, by that time, probably over a million, close to $2 million by the Soviets. He put it in banks. He had no way of accounting for that. His vulnerability was finances. When we didn't specifically address that during this test, I think he felt he, he just relaxed. And then you incorporate the fact that he had beaten it once before. Two, he's still not going to make any admissions. I mean, he's, he, that's a good situation for him getting through a polygraph test. And that's, that's how, if you will, how he beat it. But let there be no doubt. The first time he beat the, uh, he beat the examiner. The second time he beat the process. That's the best way I can put it. The, um, and I know we're, <clears throat> we're close to running out of time, but uh, <clears throat> in the Ames case, it was sort of a left-hand, right-hand thing in terms of the polygraph operator not knowing about the financial issues. And it was sort of, it was known, but not, they had not investigated it thoroughly. So it's not as if all the facts were there and, and it was ignored by the polygraph division. That's a great point, Peter, because as you well point out, polygraph is just one of many tools. Had we had the entire BI available to us, and again, in retrospect, I'm convinced we we might have, I don't know whether we would have gotten to admit it, but he would not have passed his test. Had had we had all the information available, I, I, I don't believe he would have passed his test. By the the BI is the background investigation. Oh, I, I, yes, yeah. Peter. Yes, yeah. Peter. Um, I think uh, maybe just touch on this and, uh, and uh, what a fascinating inter interview. Do you find, and you spent many years in Vietnam, and I know you've traveled around the world, cultural differences that some people are simply immune from or they don't react the same as folks from the uh, however you want to characterize our society. No, I, I don't. I, found, I, I thought the Vietnam, 
the, the polygraph was very effective on Vietnamese, absolutely. I know they say uh, Cubans are, are immune to the polygraph. That hasn't been the case in the Cubans I've tested. The best intelligence service we ever worked against, bar none, was the East German Intelligence Service. I don't know why. I was, uh, let's see, I was, uh, I identified two out of three East Germans I tested as being double agents. Only, no, none of the two, I neither of the two that I tested made an admission. The third flat out beat me, beat me cold. So again, uh, I don't, I do not believe, I think in terms of the cultural aspect what makes it effective on different cultures, I think the more you know about that particular culture, the better chances are that you can run a successful polygraph test. I f the more westernized the culture, the better chance you have of successfully polygraphing someone. The less westernized, the more primitive, the less your chances. I think our biggest problem with this current uh, you know, uh, world terrorism, we have very little understanding. Uh, we have people who don't speak the language, don't really understand the Arab culture, and I think that is a, a real negative in terms of polygraph, Peter, but it's a great question. Okay, John Sullivan, who's recently published the book Gatekeeper, which gives extraordinary insight into both the polygraph and agency culture. John, thank you so much. That was a terrific interview. Thanks for Peter, being with us you. today. This okay. has been one of the nicer days I've had anywhere, Peter. I've enjoyed, I have enjoyed every <laughs> minute. Well, we look forward to uh, continuing uh, this dialogue with you. And uh, we'd like to know if you have any comments or questions on today's SpyCast. Uh, you can get in touch with us uh, through email at spycast at spymuseum, that's one word, dot org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Thank you. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to share your feedback now.